0: journey as a Navy family can be exciting and fulfilling. It can also be confusing and stressful. For all your challenges and triumphs, from how to thrive during deployments to navigating TRICARE, Naval Services Family Line has been your go-to resource since 1965. If you're living the Navy life, this podcast is for you.
1: Join us as we discuss ways to navigate this Navy life together and define what it means to be a modern Navy family. Each episode will explore a specific topic about living the Navy lifestyle, introduce great resources, feature a Navy spouse who's rocking our world, or dive into the heart of our Navy traditions. Whether you are just starting out on your Navy journey at the halfway point or approaching the end, we know one thing is certain. We, we are, are better, better together.
0: together. Hello and welcome to Our Navy Life. I'm your host Juliana Call and we have a special treat in store for you today. Megan Graves is a navy wife, a mother of 3, and is the outreach and volunteer coordinator for Partners in Promise, protecting the rights of military children in special education. You might have remembered this was featured on episode 17 of Our Navy Life. Meg is going to be sharing her story of resilience, highlighting family lines value of compassion with grit. She'll be focusing on the G of grit, which stands for being genuine. A proud Navy spouse for 13 years, you're going to find that this former ombudsman truly sets the standard for her unique perspective and will surely leave you today inspired to be brave for your story and your strong Navy family too. Now let's get to know Meg. Hi, Meg. Hi. How are you? Oh, I'm so glad to have you here on the podcast. So first and foremost, Tell me where you're from and a little bit about your family.
2: I am from a little known town called Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, most people know it for the Amish. I am not Amish and neither is my husband. Uh, we just grew up with lots of uh, horse and buggies. Um, so it was a, a mixed bag of a place to live where it was a mixture of city life and country life you, you never knew whether it was going to be tractor day at school or you're going to have to deal with rush hour traffic and sit and car accidents and all of that stuff um, we met in high school but we didn't get married until about 10 years later after we've both had previous careers and lives um, separately that and we Uh, got married, and moved away and did that Navy thing. Uh, We have three kids. They are eleven, nine, 9, and 7. Uh, The older two boys are are on the autism spectrum, um, and they have ADHD as well, and the youngest one is a spitfire. You never know what you're going to get with that one. A a number three is a wild card. When it comes to being from the beautiful area that you grew
0: up in, (laughs) I'm sure you've moved quite a few times. How many times has your family moved with the military
2: and where are you stationed now? Uh, Currently, we're stationed in Washington, D.C., and I believe we've moved six times, uh, at least four or five duty stations, but we have been Uh, We have done a few crosstown moves, as one does sometimes. (laughs) Okay. And in that journey as a mother of
0: EFMP, um, when it comes to that experience, when did that start for you? And what does that look like for you in your different places that you've been stationed?
2: Um, Our children were not uh, officially diagnosed until, I guess, our third duty station. Um, It didn't mean we didn't have struggles before, um, but it wasn't really until Omaha, Nebraska, when my husband was at STRATCOM, that life got a little bit more complicated. Um, The oldest was at the time diagnosed with ADHD and was entering school and in kindergarten. And we had sort of known previously that ADHD was probably coming our way, um, but when his little brother came it really brought things to the forefront and then through the process of getting his little brother diagnosed we found out that both of them have autism um and that meant a few lifestyle changes for us So we started just coming to try to cut down on um the possible meltdowns especially from his younger brother he wasn't exactly verbal. He was and he wasn't. Um, And he did things in his own way. It's like a whack-a-mole, essentially. I'm trying to deal with the two kids. And then the, the middle child would be leaving the front door naked, running to the playground, which was behind our house. But a naked two-year-old is not a, what anyone wants to see <laughs> running down in the middle of winter in Omaha when it's negative 17. Um My neighbors got quite used to us (laughs) and would frequently let me know, hey, I see the streak out running and would let me know sometimes, you know, um, while my husband was home, he worked very, very long hours in a place where I couldn't get a hold of him.
0: Yeah, we're definitely on our own when when we have no access to our spouse. And I think when you have to take such courage and make such hard decisions in terms of prioritization, it definitely requires some anchor points that are a little bit different. You obviously have so much grit and so much of a genuine heart for individual stories, especially having come from only that. If that was the only part we were featuring tonight, it would be incredible and we could sit all day about it. But not only did you have that experience, but in all the different stories of your husband's seasons of jobs, one of the things that stood out the most to me was the fact that he deployed during COVID. And so tell me a little bit about his jobs before and then kind of what you guys experienced walking into that season of such an international trauma.
2: We moved from Omaha to Virginia Beach, this would be our second time in Virginia Beach. We moved and quickly he made chief, which was great, but he made it early. So it meant he wasn't around and it meant chief season and more and workups and all of the stuff that leads up to a deployment. So um in between being in and out to sea, he had the, the season to go through and uh, we got through that, but he, uh, is a yeoman is what I'm trying to say. So he has, he's usually wherever the triad is, it's usually where he is. He does anything with human resources and particularly during deployment, he was the ship secretary, uh, for the Oak Hill, um, which is a great, overall we Oak Hill. That ship was a really great ship for us. Um, but it was during COVID and. The ship was supposed to be doing lots of Navy PR stuff planned for them to go up and down all over Europe and Turkey and Greece and you you name it, all the pretty places that people want to see when they deploy, or even if they just want to travel. Unfortunately, COVID changed all of that. The only places they ever saw were uh, Dubai. They saw Dubai once, where it was like a regular port visit they could up and get out and go explore the city. And then the next time they were allowed to just see the pier and the rest of the time they were on that ship and they were out to sea and they could see land, but they couldn't touch land. And they could, they would move between all the different places, but they couldn't, they could not leave the ship no matter what they did. They couldn't leave the ship because everything was closed to visitors. Everything was closed to them.
0: So Meg, one of the things that you said was that he's a yeoman. And for the new Navy spouse who may not know the fullness of that job, can you kind of give a
2: quick overview of the magnitude of that job? For when he was deployed, he was with uh, the ship's triad. So if they had a meeting, they were with them and he it was his job to take the notes and to record all the notes, his job to handle Any promotion. It's his job to handle any demotion. His job to handle any payroll issue. It's his job to handle any travel issue. It's his job to handle, okay, you're getting court-martialed and you need to have a, a court hearing even on the ship. It's his job to be there and record it. There really is never a day off once they're on the ship. Like he is wherever the triad is. He is right there. He is their right hand man. Uh, So that is essentially what they do. I feel like the yeomen are definitely people through which many
0: pieces of information go through. And it is a tremendous responsibility. I have the utmost respect for With that, though... You said goodbye to him, knowing that it would be a certain amount of time, but I believe it got a little bit of extended because of
2: the COVID experience. COVID interrupted a lot of things for a lot of people. And for us, they um, were never allowed to leave the ship. They were never allowed to go anywhere fun. They had a lot of steel beach parties. I guess if you're on the ship for 30 days, you can get to have one beer on top of the, the deck of the ship. They got extended, but were able to come home. But they were only home for about two weeks and they weren't home home. They went to a hotel. And so they weren't ever actually home while they were at home. They had to go back out to sea because it was come 2 X and and other workups prepare for the following deployments. And then they quarantine in the hotel and then they go again. So they get home in July August is uh, two different teams of two weeks in the hotel, and then they go back out to sea, and we don't see them again until December, about 14 days before Christmas or less than that, really they are finally home. They had left in December and I don't really feel like they get, got home until December. practically a year-long deployment through a pandemic that no one ever predicted. And, and in the meantime, I'm home with my three differently abled children who approach the world different and who do, who, who do not understand that the world is shut down. They don't understand why they can't go to school. They don't understand why they can't play with their friends. They don't understand Zoom. My middle son hated Zoom, and even now he hates Zoom. He hides under the table. So it got to the point where I ended up homeschooling them. I withdrew them completely from school, and we did our own thing through COVID because I didn't know what else to do when you have a a kindergartner, second or third grader, I guess is where he was, and a pre-K student. You know, you can't really pre-K Zoom, and kindergarten Zoom doesn't exactly work. We did our own things. So it was a lot of hands-on things and getting out of the house as much as we could. As you
0: walked that journey with three children, depending upon you as their sole support, cheerleader, <laughs> teacher, coach—you know, safety patrol, all the things—you um, know, med- medical advocate. I mean, I can't even imagine the the span of what you covered in that time. With so much time with your husband serving our country. My question for you is during that time, you didn't just think about your family, you were invited and you know, maybe voluntold. I'm not sure if it was just a you (laughs) initiating it or if you really were called up to a season as an ombudsman in that season. I mean, not just are you taking care of your children, but you had such a huge, genuine heart to serve other families in need that you stepped up in a way that very few do. And any ombudsman listening to this, we salute you because, oh my gosh, it is just an incredibly difficult role that is so incredibly important for the state, the state safety and steadiness of our families. And so tell me a little bit about that experience, not only the stress as a mom and as a wife far from your spouse, but as one who kind of also triaged a number of other stories making sure that they were okay too.
2: I've been an ombudsman now for, so five years an ombudsman and two years as a key spouse. It's like the Air Force version because while we were in Shotcom, I was also the key spouse there. But then when we moved back to Virginia Beach, I I was asked to be the ombudsman for the Oak Hill. And I I loved that role. It was fantastic. I had a great team. I was mainly, I was the only ombudsman, but I, I felt supported by the triad spouses. So together, we worked on it as well as with uh, a senior chief spouse as well. All of us together, we, we had a good team, but yeah, being an ombudsman through COVID answering questions from grandmothers, like, where is my son? Why, what do you mean he can't get off the ship? Or um, answering questions like I heard this is happening. I heard they're coming home and having to let them know that unfortunately they're not coming home. Unfortunately, Homecoming looks very different than you're used to. Um, no, you can't get out of your car. No, you won't. We'll do a first kiss, but only that person spaced six feet apart. And, you know, all of those things that go in with being an ombudsman. My favorite story about being the ombudsman is when my own husband had to get fly- flown off the ship, uh, soon after they deployed because his appendix burst. <laughs> receiving the phone call that it's your own spouse was kind of unexpected. Um, and you're like, wait, where are you? Wait, you left the ship? You're not allowed to leave the ship. What do you mean you left the ship? And what happened? Uh, so that was fun. Give gave me a little taste uh, of how to handle what it feels like to be in someone's shoes when you get the worst news or what feels like a really bad news at the time. Unfortunately, that wasn't the only news we've received while being an ombudsman. I won't talk about that, but it there was, you know, we received other phone calls that were harder than just hearing that your husband had emergency surgery. The triad and I handled those situations well, um, I think. And then even when the news wasn't great, we were, we were
0: good. I think that that's one of the things that is the most important thing about the family line about our Navy life and about the spouses with whom we come alongside in this season of our service to our country as families is that we really can't do this without each other. We're in it together and that we have to stay brave and that there's, there is an adventure in every day, but that you kind of don't realize how much you need the other families or the unbuzzin or the other spouses in your area. And that's why we're here on this podcast because It's almost like you didn't know that you weren't the only one until you go in the season together and you realize, oh, there's someone who can be my midnight friend there's someone who can answer something that I might not know, an acronym or the the PSE (laughs) is now all under the um, yeoman. There's so many things that we don't know because we don't really have an instruction manual as spouses walking into this journey. There is a lot of training for the service member, but as a spouse, sometimes it's the school of hard knocks, but the ombudsman and woman like you definitely inspire and invite others to kind of be a little bit more brave and figure it out one day at a time. So when it comes to going through that season, such tremendous character, such tremendous resilience, such tremendous grit, and such a genuine heart for your kids to pull them out of school and homeschool them and for the fight for other families. That's so impressive. But in the middle of all that, I know that you quickly got a diagnosis that was really unexpected. Tell me a little bit about that.
2: Um Well, in between everything else that was going on, around this time in 2020, I'm hanging up Halloween lights. Uh, you know, we, a lot of people hang up Christmas lights while my one son really loves Halloween. And so I'm trying to hang up the Halloween lights and I, you know, make this, make the motion of hanging the lights up. And I brought my arm down and I was like, oh, that, that kind of hurts. That's weird. Why does that hurt? and so it's covid and you can't bring your kids with you to doctor's appointments and so i wait i do what we do sometimes and we just wait so i waited a month and i finally got a hold of my primary care manager and it is around thanksgiving now bring my 3 kids because i don't have anyone to watch the kids cuz my husband's deployed and it's COVID and you can't really be like, hey, watch my kids, you know, keep everyone in your safe little bubble. And I was trying to do anything to bring my husband home. We went to the primary care doctors and I gave them their tablets. And the office I was at, what well, you could see the parking lot from where I would go in to be examined. So I told the three, like, do not leave the car, watch your shows. And I run in. And I get the good old examined and the doctor feels something too. So then I wait another month till I can go get an ultrasound because by then you can't bring three kids to an ultrasound and or or a mammogram or any of that. So I had to wait till the husband was actually home. He got home December 14th, 2020. And I got the diagnosis that no one wants to hear that it's cancer December 28th, 2020. Uh, so he's home 14 days to have normal life. Welcome home, honey. Welcome to reintegration. The world's changed. And oh, by the way, I have breast cancer. I don't just have breast cancer. I have the kind of breast cancer that only 10 to 15% of women get. I have the kind that's really aggressive and rare and goes everywhere and grows quickly. And the only thing that will stop it is lots and lots of chemotherapy, and surgery and radiations. I want to make sure that as I talk about this, I want to make it so that people can understand that even when we get the worst news, when you have to call the ombudsman and say oh, by the way, this is what's going on. What resources are there available? I want to let people know that it's okay to sit in the heart and that hearing that hard noise, hearing those words, you have cancer or someone has died or your life is being flipped upside down, that it's okay to acknowledge that it's hard and it's okay to sit in that pain and that we all carry our own version of heart and my heart Was breast cancer and is breast cancer because here I am two and a half years later and I'm still dealing with the side effect from that day. I wear a sleeve on my arm. I I still don't have any breasts and I can't lift my hands above my head very well. And those are all things that I deal with. You know, your heart might be something else and uh, deployment is hard and uh, special needs is hard, but it doesn't mean it's bad or different, and it's okay to say that it is hard, and I just want everyone to know that it's it, sitting in this pain is okay, and it's okay to acknowledge that it's hard, and we as Navy families sometimes like to, you know, grin and bear it and not acknowledge that it's hard, but I think it's important that we make space for the hard. That's what makes it genuine, and that's what makes it real and that's what can be part of the grit that we as Navy wives have is to be okay with hard and unknown and change. So even when you're given the hardest diagnosis, it's, it's okay. Life will be okay. Even if it looks completely different than you ever, ever imagined it would be in your thirties.
0: <laughs> Transition is a seven letter word in my mind. I'm like, oh, man, you have to give yourself so much grace for any sort of medical unknown Any sort of schedule change in the military, anytime you can't access your spouse, anytime something unexpected comes, it can really shake you. And it's interesting because when you have a picket fence life that nothing changes, it's actually quite the luxury. When you have so much change, it actually grows so much a deeper muscle inside that you realize that you were made for more, that you were made with strength inside that you never knew you could access and that we can't do this alone, but that we have resources available to us that are there to serve you. What are some of the resources that really came alongside you in that time? Or what were some anchor points that you made sure to establish in your life to, to carry you through that?
2: Well, I think being the ombudsman, I knew like who to call and what to call as well as my own journey with my kids. Um, I knew what resources were available as an EFMP family. I think the EFMP program does fantastic with supporting our kids. And I feel as an adult, there's some gaps, but they still do a great job that my EFMP team made sure that I was officially categorized well, made, hooked us, helped us get respite care for emergency purposes. My kids qualified for it and they were on the wait list for years and it just happened to work out that they got off the wait list at the same time I got cancer and that became a huge godsend. Uh, As a Navy wife, we had a PCS in the middle of active cancer treatment because that's what happens when you're Navy. So they helped us get reestablished right away up here in DC and getting everything switched to Walter Reed. And another big part of my care team was the other Navy spouses. I think we as military spouses, know what it's like to be far away from family and know what it's like when someone is down. And we know how to support someone. We know how to bring the food. We know that there's going to be kidneys. They know that there's going to be transportation issues. They stepped up so huge. Friends and family from all over the world stepped up so huge. Um, and they even did that during COVID too. But when it, when the breast cancer diagnosis came, they really... Stepped up meal trains and all the gift cards that we could use to help feed the kids since mom's down. And mom's been like the key player for all of this time. They knew that Dan was stepping into some extra big shoes when he came back from that deployment. Now he's dealing with being Mr. Mom, still working in the Navy and trying to help us navigate special needs parenting. Wow. Mom is also now special needs. It required us all to shift our brain a little bit. I needed to help them understand all the many facets that go into parenting special needs kids while also managing my own needs. So there was so many pieces in the air and there still are so many pieces in the air, but we we all do our best and we all Third as much as we can. Um, you know, the, the Bible verse that I like, it says, in this world, there will be troubles. Um, but take heart. And everyone likes to end on that. Take heart. And they think like, take heart. I have overcome the world. Well, that's great. But I think the part is that we really need to emphasize is, is that in this world, there will be troubles, like trouble will always be there. And I think we as a Navy family everywhere, we really do know how to handle the trouble. We know how to handle the trouble when Oh, I'm sorry, honey, we're going back out to sea. I'm sorry, I thought that we could go do this, but sorry, I have to go do something else instead. We know how to handle trouble. And so when cancer happened, you know, trouble trouble stayed with us and it's just a part of our life. And so... I'm not alone in any of it is what I'm trying to say. It's super powerful. And I feel like
0: it is so true that when you have the expectation of it going a certain way, the gap between reality and expectation can really discourage you. And it can be really hard. One of the most common questions I get when my husband is deployed is, well, when's he coming back? And have you heard from him? And both questions of those are way beyond my control. And I feel like sometimes when you've walked the journey we've walked, you learn how to ask better questions, questions like, can I come pick up your kid and just take him to a mac and cheese dinner around my dining room <laughs> table? Can I bring you a meal? No, I'm going to bring you a meal. Up.
2: And there's food on your porch.
0: I think that when it comes to understanding there's moments there, we feel so very alone in our walks and our journeys, but the minute that you reach out your hand to serve someone else, it's almost like your bucket piece is so big and yours is tremendous, but it sounds like consistently you flipped your bucket upside down and reached out to help someone else else rise higher. And I respect that with all of my heart, because I think it's actually part of what helps you be resilient is because you realize other people have hard too, just like you shared, and people's stories embolden each other because all of us are brave in our own way one day at a time. And that's really all that's required. I remember before one of our deployments that seemed so long and so much bigger than I had ever walked before, I realized pretty quickly that you can't bite off a whale. You have to take a deployment or a separation or a season one day at a time and you just yeah. win the day. So we're going to go into our lightning round. And I wanted to ask a couple different questions. The first thing is what are things you make sure to have in your day that really anchor you as a spouse who has so much gifting and so much capability, but also so much re- required of you?
2: Um I like to make sure that I leave space in my day to connect with people. I like to make sure that people feel heard. I like that. I like to make sure that people that there's room for the hard that that there's space available and that I have room to hear it and to bear it with them because half the time we just want someone else to sit there with us and acknowledge it and hear it and and let us know like they don't have to know what we're going through we all have our own version of hard but just to hear that you're, someone else acknowledges that there is hard that there is trouble in this world like that is more uplifting to me than anything else. Um, I like to make room for redefining what happiness is, um, because happiness isn't always, you know, a husband home and flowers on the table and all of that. Sometimes happiness is just a smile or an acknowledgement or wave from your neighbor. Sometimes happiness looks like, uh, just making sure that the kids get off to school that day and no one got into a fight. Sometimes happiness is like, oh, my shoes that didn't fit last week fit this week. Those little things add up so much more than any of the bigger things. And a lot of people like to focus on the big things, but they're, the little things and the hand holding and the sitting with someone is bigger to me than any of those little things. That's so
0: profound. And in a world where there's so much social media and images of perfection, it's so critical to recognize that as military spouses, that we touch each other's hands. Like we show up on the doorstep, we give a phone call, that the actual presence on this podcast is literally in your living room. We're steadfast beside you, shoulder to shoulder, and in this with you. Because I think that that's so important to to remember remember when you are watching so many images that you can compare their wholeness to what feels so hard for you in an unexpected season that may require more than normal. I feel like it matters so much for people instead of saying, well, at least he or at least she that you get to be able to say, I'm sorry. Do you want to go to a movie or I'm sorry? That sounds so hard. Like, I don't have to hold your heart, but I can be with you with your heart. And I hold my heart. You hold your heart. And those spaces that we hold for each other, what even if they're completely different, when we hold space for that It gives such a strength to our community as a Navy family at large. And I think that is probably what I've loved 20 years, 21 years into the military with our family is just the respect for people who have served everywhere I go. I just give such honor to the sacrifice that you've served, Meg. I just appreciate so much um, just your heart for the families, because when you've walked a journey you look back and you can't help but help someone else when you have a heart the size of yours. And so what's your best piece of advice for a new or mid-career
2: spouse? I always try to encourage every family to to arm yourself with a tool belt. So find the right tools, find the right fit and empower yourself. You can do this. Like you, you can do this and you are doing this. Those are like my two catchphrases. You can do this. And look at you you are doing this whatever this is you can and you are doing it and so if you can research reach out to the right resources if you can find five minutes of time to get I don't know whatever makes you happy if that's a peanut butter sandwich on the couch like while the kids are doing something else or while you wait for laundry to fold like like Whatever you need to do, you can do this and you are doing this. Whatever your heart is, you can and you are doing it. I heard All there right. was an acrostic one time. That's, is that if
0: you write down, if you're listening to this podcast, take a piece of paper and write it down with me. I-A-M-N-O-W-H-E-R-E. And in some moments of your life, you're going to feel like, I am nowhere. Like, I don't know anyone. I don't know what to do. I'm nowhere. What do I have, what do I have to offer? But then there's a moment where you pick yourself up off the kitchen floor, wipe the tears off your face, and you just get to tell yourself, well, I'm now here. And what do I do? Because there's moments where you're like, what do I do? And then there's moments (laughs) where you grab the hand of a friend. And you go, okay. This is what I'm going to do. Can you help me in this moment? And the resources available through the family line and through Compass and Core, and there's so many different amazing things. A military one source and in your own command. I mean, there's so many wonderful people just outside your door. And sometimes we just need the courage to trust one step at a time that that yeah. might be true. That our next best friend is around the corner because
2: we were brave. And yeah. so, last question:
0: Do you have a secret hobby? I
2: love to garden. I like to watch things grow. I like to watch that tiny, tiny little seed slowly emerge from the ground and suddenly become this big vine that I don't know what to do with, but could be filled with fruit or could not be because I don't know what I'm doing half the time. Um, I just like to try. Um, so I have, a, I have what I call a wild English garden because there's no rhyme or reason to it. I just grow what I want to grow and let's see what happens kind of thing. And I think that's what, uh, we do as military spouses. We just, see what happens. Well, I don't know what to do here, but I'm going to try this and let's see what happens.
0: Your life is definitely a beautiful example of that, of so many different seeds planted in different places you've lived in different seasons, where I'm certain that your example inspired so many others around us. Thank you so much for joining us, Meg. We appreciate you sharing your journey and story on how you've navigated this Navy life. We hope that you all will come back and join us for more of Family Lines, Our Navy Life. Be sure to find us on social media to keep the conversation going and follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. Remember, You are brave. We're in this with you. And there's an incredible adventure waiting for you today. See you next time.
1: That concludes today's discussion. Thanks so much for joining us. To find more resources and ways to connect with your Navy community, visit our website at www.nsfamilyline.org.
0: And be sure to connect with us on Facebook to keep the conversation going. You can find the links in the show notes. For more episodes to help you navigate your journey through Navy life, be sure to subscribe. Leave us a comment and we will see you next time.